Stories, fables, ghostly tales. A small group of friends enter the woods, and only one walks out, unscathed. If I can even say that. For when Daniel entered the darkened forest, with childish voices resounding off the trees and candy wrappers from times gone by littering the forest floors, the fate of him and his friends, Bobby, Noah, and Charlotte, were already decided. Listeners, this is the story best heard with the lights off and the sound up. A tale that is not for little ears, so please, headphones on and eyes closed, to join me for a most darkened tale. Let's dig in. China Blonde If you go down to the woods today, you're in for a big surprise. If you go down to the woods today, you'd better go in disguise. None of the friends that accompanied me into our ill-fated trip into the woods are actually here to assist me in telling you this story. So I'll give you my interpretation. Please note that none of the perspective given is either biased, one-sided, or exaggerated. The police have been informed, so please don't inform them. And this story is part of the police investigation into the events that unfolded on the 11th of April, 2013. I have been told that this story needs to be heard. I will provide every single detail. 7.10pm We arrived. Noah and I have split the alcohol between our two backpacks. We brought everything we could carry and made sure we weren't stingy. We were going to ensure that we had a good night. Jumping off the bus and walking along the long path of the Lido led us past the restaurant and towards a small beach. We sat beside a lake that bordered the road at the edge of the forest. Everything was empty. A pair of kiddie swings were gently rocking as we approached the entrance to the woods. 7.28pm Our film is about a serial killer that goes insane amongst his friends during a camp in the woods, and in a state of madness, steadily designed to plan to massacre his friends and either bury or burn the bodies. We'd never actually decided how he disposed of them. I was going to play the killer. The film wasn't going to need a cameraman because we decided on just setting the camera in different places in the woods such as in the embrace of a branch or tucked beside a bag amongst the leaves. That was Noah's idea. It gave it a voyeuristic edge. Getting deeper into the woods, Charlotte began to complain of feeling sick and having a headache. She kept stopping by the side of the trees and opening up her mouth as if to be sick. You haven't even started drinking yet, babe. Called Bobby from my side back at the Charlotte's. As we stopped again to see if she was okay, Bobby was holding my hand. Noah had the camera out and was taking photos at random angles, such as crouched down. At one point he climbed the tree to get an aerial shot. I don't even know what's happened. I just feel really sick, guys. Moaned Charlotte, before spitting in the dirt and straightening her body. She wiped a string of saliva from her chin and steadily caught up to us. Bobby went from me to Charlotte to see if she was okay. The two girls spoke about something quietly. Noah and I went up ahead, leaving the two girls to talk. 
I looked back at the two and saw Bobby looking at me as Charlotte spoke to her. My girlfriend looked concerned. 7.40pm Charlotte had been quiet most of the way. Eventually, we'd arrived at what we did used to be the heart of the woods. Guys, what the fuck is that? Noah said, pointing off into the trees. I turned my head quickly and saw nothing. Very funny, Noah. I went to carry on walking, but my best friend caught me by my arm and gripped hard, still pointing in the same direction. He was gesturing me to look again. I did, and saw what seemed to be a large black shape. It wasn't a bush, nor was it any kind of young tree. It was just a mass of blackness. I remember it was at that moment that I realized it was really starting to get dark as I went to make out the shape. Noah bravely began to stride over to the shape. It was at that time of year where the trees were regrowing their leaves and I think Noah was thankful of that, as no leaves were crunching underfoot as he crept over. The three of us stood watching Noah. Uh, you guys, it's fucking sticks. It's a stick hut. He called, relieved. 7.56pm The stick hut served as a temporary accommodation for us. We filmed the scene at the hut and then started to open a few beers. Charlotte complained of still, feeling sick, and didn't want to drink anything. Bobby sat on my lap and Noah sat on the right of us. Charlotte, to the left. The hut was really quite odd. It was a teepee-like build, and someone had obviously spent quite a while on it. Inside, we found a teddy bear and a selection of sweet wrappers. Some were quite new, but some were unrecognizable with names like Marathon that we recognized but hadn't ever been sold in our lifetime. Other wrappers were completely white from decaying out in the woods for years. There were about six in total. 8.01 p.m. It was really dark now. The sky was a thick purple. After two beers, the smell started. Deep in the woods and amidst conversation of ideas for our film, a sudden gust of wind brought about a revolting smell of what seemed to be burning wire or plastic. It smelled toxic. Bobby, Noah, and I all lifted our tops to cover our mouths, whilst Charlotte seemed to be more intrigued by the smell, lifting her nose to sniff at it. I remember it reminded me of my dog when the microwave door opens at home and he bounds into the kitchen and lifted his nose in the same way, trying to eat the smell. Charlotte's eyes were wide as hell. I remember that too. How wide her eyes were. The smell came in waves, until eventually... It became too much to bear, and we decided to split up and look for a new place to camp. Thinking back, it was a fucking retarded idea, but it seemed clever at the time. I'll go with Charlotte. Come on, loudmouth. Bobby said sarcastically, going over to Charlotte and pulling her up to her feet. How do you feel? Better. Charlotte said back. She seemed resistant to get up off her log, but it didn't take much pulling for her to be up on her feet beside my girlfriend. Bye, beautiful, Bobby said to me with a wink. I should have kissed her. 
I should have kissed her one last time. 8.20pm Still no place to camp, so Noah and I stop and sit down by a tree. We use Noah's camera with the torch on it to light our way as we walk. It was really quite unsettling, but we weren't scared. We'd been talking about Dragon Ball Z on the walk, and it was taking our minds off how unsafe we were in the pitch black woods. It was beginning to get quite cold, too. It grew silent between us after a while, as we struggled to find our way back to the hut. Mate, we could have passed it like 14 times and not realized. I can hardly see my hand in front of my face, Noah said, stopping in his tracks and sounding exasperated. Can't you turn the light up on that? I asked, going to grab the camera. Then, there was a noise. An extremely weird noise that I can barely explain, but I know how it made me feel. It had all the features of a fox's mating call, but it sounded far more distressed. If any of you have heard a fox mating call before, you know how ugly that sound is anyway. This wasn't like that. It sounded like a little girl playing, as if she were screaming out in glee from a roundabout in a child's park. We were ages from the park, so it couldn't have been there. We estimated that the sound must have been about 600 footsteps away at maximum. There definitely wasn't a girl in the woods, so we assumed it was a fox. Nevertheless, with nervous laughter, we pressed on. We were only getting ourselves more lost. 8.49pm Incoming call from Charlotte Charlotte, where are you guys? I asked down the phone and waited for a response. Her voice came back with a weird pitch, like she was talking on a mouthful of caramel. I go home. Meet me at the witch house. Bye. She hung up. We carried on walking towards what we hoped was the hut. There were a lot of strange things about the phone call. Firstly, the strange smell erupting from somewhere in the woods almost as soon as I pressed the accept button on my phone. Secondly, she definitely didn't sound like herself. And third, I was sure I'd heard what sounded like muffled talking in the background, like two people having a conversation behind Charlotte, which was just impossible. I distinctly remember hearing another male. I didn't tell Noah. 9.08pm Walking with the dim camera torch, we eventually came across something hanging from a tree branch. It was a very large tree, and hanging by what seemed to be a pink ribbon was Bobby's phone. My girlfriend's Blackberry was hanging from the tree, slowly turning in the dark. As I went to pull it off, Noah's light caught some of the leaves and I saw a whole bunch of them were stained red. I took the camera out of Noah's hands and shone the light on the leaves. Some of them were dripping. In the roots of the tree was quite a large mass of matted blonde hair. I at least assumed it was blonde. It was also drenched in blood. Fixated on this, I leaned in closer to the hair and then a wave of nausea swept over me. I straightened up and realized that the red ribbon was Bobby's too. She used it to tie her hair up with it. 
there was a rustle in the trees above us at that point and something fluttered down from the canopy. I think we were both frozen with fear at that point. The thing gently fell to the ground and I went over and saw that it was a single wrapper off a Kit Kat chocolate bar. Shaking my head, I turned around to face Noah. His face. I'd never seen pure terror before, not even in my wildest nightmares. I saw it that night on Noah's face. He stood there, with his head craned back, his mouth ajar in shock, staring up into the tree. I didn't look. I just ran over to him and shook him, dropping the camera. It was immensely dark now. I quickly grabbed the camera and shone the light on his face. He was staring right at me now. The same look of pure fear spread across his pasty face. He let out a terrifying shriek, and I couldn't help but run away. I felt something warm trickle down my leg as I took off as fast as I could, my heart pounding. I was fucking scared. I ran as fast as I could, piss streaming down my leg. I left him screaming there in the woods at whatever he'd seen up in that tree. I just couldn't think. Often I'd clip and hit a tree, and it really fucking hurt, like I'd broken my arm or shattered something. At one point I ran face first into a tree and broke my nose. A river of blood poured out of my nostrils and into my mouth. But I got up, ignoring the searing white-hot pain that was flaring through my face and carried on running, my arms out in front of me like a zombie. Noah's screaming stopped eventually. Either that, or I'd gotten far enough away that I could no longer hear him. I am writing this 418 days, a new relationship, a year of school and 51 sessions of intense counselling and therapy later, and I still sometimes think that Noah's still there, still screaming, still just screaming at the top of his lungs, screaming for death in the middle of the woods, caught in an eternal night, his brain unable to compute what he's seen, his sanity unable to bear it. He snapped then, definitely. It was the way his mouth had just fallen open, like he lost some brain activity, lost his reason. I had nightmares for a month of his scream. You just can't begin to imagine how piercing and terrified it was, or how fast and cowardly I ran and left my friend for dead. 9.34pm I eventually came across the hut of what Charlotte has strangely called the Witch Hut. I saw that there was an extremely faint light coming from inside. A horrible thought occurred to me that the owner had come home. For some reason, my consciousness suggested that I drop flat on my stomach as though I was a soldier. So I did. I slithered over to the hut on my belly and caught my breath in my throat as I heard what seemed to be weeping. Miserable weeping coming from the hut. I was out of the bushes now and the weeping grew louder. This can't be real. This... This is a nightmare. I was close enough now to make out what they were saying. I had also deduced it was a girl. I reached the hut and to my sheer dread, 
made a noise accidentally. The girl inside the hut instantly stopped crying and yelped slightly. She crawled out of the hut, and to my relief I saw that it was Charlotte. Charlotte, it's Daniel! Stop! She carried on crawling. I got up and ran over. Stop, 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 stop! I grabbed her and turned her onto her front. She fought with me and the light flashed against her face. I saw her eyes were gone. I screamed, and I shouldn't have. It was obvious at this point that something was wrong in the woods that night. Something was there, uninvited, and I'd probably just alerted it to where I was. Charlotte covered her face, but I'd already seen everything. They'd been burned out. Most of the damage was to her nose, but it sprawled over her eyes and a bit of her top lip. The burns were huge bubbles of blistering pus and red sores. Her nose was partially dissolved. Daniel, I don't know if that's you. My face hurts so much. Just get out of here, Daniel. Get help and send them back here to me. Please. She pleaded for me to go, pushing me off away from her. And out of my cowardly instinct, I did. I got up from my friend, laying on the forest floor without her eyes, burning in the dark. She quickly grabbed the scuff of my collar. You, you're going to get help, right? She whimpered, shivering. A trickle of blood poured from where her right eye should have been. That's where I'm going right now, Charlotte. Please just hang on. Here, have my jacket. I felt useless. Completely fucking useless. I was about to vomit if I looked at Charlotte's disfigured face for one second longer, and my jeans were beginning to stink of stale piss. I threw my jacket off and clutched my heart, feeling the violent pounding rebound against my ribcage. I wiped hot blood from under my broken nose and brushed it on my jeans. I wrapped my jacket around her like she was a child. Shivers ran down my spine as she stood talking and her forehead wrinkled. She was trying to close her eyes. I don't know if I'm alive. She whimpered. 9.45pm. I couldn't leave Charlotte. I couldn't leave her like I left my best friend there. God knows what he'd seen. Or what had happened to him. I think about Noah every day. It's the most terrifying part of the story for me. What the fuck happened to Noah? They still haven't found his body. They found Bobby's, though. Charlotte had stopped crying and was now just shivering. I found it strangely ironic how she'd been horribly burned and yet appeared to be freezing cold. I was in my t-shirt and felt nothing. Not a single thing. The more I thought about Noah and Bobby, the angrier I began to feel. I felt my body quivering with the desire to murder whatever had been up in that tree. Whatever had driven Noah insane from a single glance. Bobby! Charlotte whispered out of the blue, sending an icy shard into my beating heart. Bobby! It's still me, Charlotte. It's Daniel. I shone a light on her face and quickly took it off. I'd rather have sat in the dark than stare at Charlotte's face. It felt safer in the dark. She whimpered as she changed position. 
and it occurred to me I had no idea what we were doing. I remember it was just watching over me like the feeling of a mouse would get when he realizes he's in a trap. What the fuck are we doing? I asked Charlotte. Why are we sat here? Daniel, we aren't going to survive this. I heard Bobby scream and that girl's laughter. Daniel, what did this to me is not even human. It can't be human, but it looks just like a small girl. Charlotte spoke in short, breathy gasps, but her story came out in one big, long sobbing sentence. And she fell out of the tree. And we went over to see if she was okay. And I was really scared because the tree she fell out of was really, really tall. And I stopped. And, and she did this to me. Oh God, Daniel. She was lying face down in the mud. And her head snapped back to stare at us. She had these big black eyes. She just got up. And she threw this acid in my face and attacked Bobby. And I heard a sipping sound. And then Bobby was gone. Daniel, she had a big man's voice. She laughed this really guttural laugh. She sounded like an old man, laughing like... <laughs> Charlotte's story was drowned out by her own unintelligible sobs. I couldn't understand the rest of what she said. I was terrified beyond speaking. Absolutely terrified. 10.49pm We got out. Charlotte could tell we'd gotten out too. Through her burned eyes, she wrestled out of my arms and we both fell onto the gravel path. The moon was huge and bigger than I'd ever seen it. A fierce, angry eye set in the sky. I was too ecstatic to realize that, how big the moon was that night. I crawled over the gravel until I reached the beach and then collapsed once again, sand getting clogged up in my teeth and cracked against my gums. I weakly did a half push-up and looked around to see where Charlotte was. I got up fully, my aching arms and shattered, bloody nose really starting to hurt. I looked around the beach for a good few minutes before eventually deciding that She'd disappeared, and that really didn't bother me at this point. I knew for a fact in that moment that tonight wouldn't ever leave me. It wouldn't. How could it possibly just disappear? All trace of something terrifying. It leaves a bruise on the mind. It is something that can't be unseen. For about a week later, I couldn't go outside at all. I couldn't watch TV. It was more than a year after that night, and I can't sleep with the light off. And I still sometimes have nights where I don't sleep at all. Bobby, Charlotte, and Noah are all now filed as disappearances. They aren't buried to rest on the ground. They're filed. Afterwards, photographs of all of us were in the papers particularly me, as it was my story that was the only reliable source of evidence. The woods aren't closed off, though. They are still up and open to hikers, joggers, campers, or anyone just looking to get laid drunk or high. It scares me that they just opened the Lido up again. So soon as well. 
if my memory is as accurate as I hope it is, then I believe they opened it back up a month after I got out. So feel free to go there. I won't try and stop you, though something else might. The investigation into Bobby's disappearance was reopened recently when they found out that one of her uncles had been arrested on charges of possessing child pornography, which came as a stern shock to me. I, however, know that no matter how coincidental, it has nothing to do with what actually happened. Something that can't be arrested is in these woods. Something that was either conjured or crafted deep in the heart of the woods. Whomever had put it there must have been hoping that the thick walls of trees would render it unable to leave. You'll hear about it soon if it ever did leave. I'm sure you will. No matter where you live, Word will spread that something small and inescapable is on its way. Something that lives in the woods, uncontained by a slight shiver you feel in the middle of the night, or the most horrifying nightmare you could imagine. Something young with a man's voice. Something that smells of burning plastic. There were a few trails of people that got back to me. The majority of people were from my school, emailing me and texting me to see if I was okay asking if I was ever coming back to school. There were a few people I thought didn't even like me that were saying random bullshit like, oh, if you ever need a shoulder to cry on, I'm here for you. There was only one message of condolence that I decided to keep. It was an email sent from someone I'd never heard of and can't seem to trace. I've put the trail in this document, as written below. The email is from jerry.q at hotmail.co.uk and my responses are dandan at yahoomail.co.uk It goes like this back and forth. I'm sorry for the loss, Daniel. Hey, thanks. It's okay. Do you know anything about Ruislip excavators? China Blonde? Sorry, mate, that doesn't really interest me. It's okay, go on their website and check it out. Are you on the website? Some of them think they found what you guys found in the forest. They said it was a little girl. Lol, she was in a tree eating chocolate bars, but it was a guy's hand she was eating in a chocolate bar wrapper. And she spoke to them in a guy's voice, but she was about nine. Did you feel lonely in the woods? Let me know. China Blonde. And there was an image attached that will haunt me for the rest of my days. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed your tale today, titled China Blonde. Definitely want to get the skin goose fleshing. Who was the mysterious person using the email account jerry.q? that decided to share that information regarding China Blonde. Why the reference to the excavator? And what does that person know that Daniel doesn't? What got me as well was the line, Did you feel lonely in the woods? Part of me feels that it could be one of his friends reaching out to him, knowing that they are already dead, a kind of haunting in their own way perhaps. Creepy stuff. Folks, this Monday I'll be out and about as it's a public holiday, and we'll be jamming lambing with pals and eating lots of food. But I will double down on Wednesday's episode with the Sherlock Holmes story just for your loveliest of ears. So stick with me then, mates. 
Now, my brilliant peeps, if you like what I do, leave an iTunes review. If you really like what I do, support the show with monthly support where all your dollary dues go into production and not for personal use. And seeing as I don't run advertisements ever and never will on my show, all your help really pushes this show along. Speaking of help, my patron supporters that help push this podcast production values even higher and constantly kickstart this podcast into space with what it's capable of doing. My first legendary supporters is Queen of Cats, Maya. Goodness, what a superstar. This lovely lady is like Nitros in this podcast veins. And Maya, your level of support impacts the show daily. From D-reverb, echo, binaural sound effects, and overall audio quality with equalizer plugins, you've made this podcast really, really shine. Thank you so much, Maya. And you're an absolute godsend. Not one episode goes up without me being so grateful for your support, mate. My first white tea warlord, Leza Bauer, the man of this tip-top hour, Dudio, I can't wait to finally have time to actually read your email from beginning to end and not piece by piece due to work commitments. I've taken a mini break from work to hang with pals and respond to my most amazing supporters and pals like yourself. Cannot wait. And as always, Leza, thank you immensely for your kindness and ongoing support. You're awesome. And I'm lucky to have another white tea warlord, Paige Kramer. Mate, thank you so much for your ongoing support. I've finally been able to update some audio effects of mine this month. <laughs> been waiting to do this for a while. And I've also been able to update my music database so as to bring you lovelies all better quality audio, or at least a more diverse range of audio. Thank you, mate. And I'm already looking forward to your next message. You are brilliant. And my legends that keep this podcast boom illumined into the future, my Earl Grey Enforcers, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Tasha Moncrief, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker 1, and Divided by Zero. Thank you all for supporting me. You lovelies mean the world to me, really. No matter what tier of support I have from my listeners, I'm stoked to have you at my side. Thank you. Have a wonderful weekend, and I'll catch you Wednesday next week for some Sherlock Holmes and the ever-hilarious Watson. I can't tell you, mate, how many times I've said back to my bees and contemplated using that as my text message update. Oh, I love that show, mates. Thank you as always, and till next we meet. meet.